You're listening to Good Shepherd Brentwood's Sermon Feed. Today's sermon was preached by Communications Director Ashley Mowers and recorded on the second Sunday after the Epiphany, January 14th, 2024. I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When I used to teach at my alma mater, myself and the other communications professors had the task of impressing upon our students the importance of knowing one's audience and communicating in a way that makes their message understandable. Audiences aren't mind readers. Their one task is to actively listen and ask questions based on what they hear. Your task is to figure out a way to make that as easy for them as possible. And when students fail to do this, and I have heard some truly incomprehensible speeches in my time, we would always say, it's a good thing God knows your heart, because I sure don't. (laughs) And more often than not, that worked. It was a great reminder, but not just for them, for myself as well. It reminded us that we are all participants in the act of communication, and that it took effort, and that it wasn't just enough for us to stick with audiences that intuitively got us. None of us has godlike power, but we can commit to the discipline of learning about one another and speaking truth in that knowledge. The stories we heard in the lectionary readings today speak to this. Two men, both alike in integrity, One, a servant of a high priest. The other, a friend of a new disciple of Christ. Neither story beginning with either of them knowing the Lord beforehand. First, the servant. Samuel attended to Eli and had been committed by his parents to this work since birth. And Eli was a good priest. But his sons, who were also priests, became wicked men, greedy, full of lust and contempt for God's offerings. What they were doing was claiming the best portions of meat for themselves before it was sacrificed to God. And if anyone resisted, the servant of these sons would threaten to take it by force. They were effectively stealing offerings meant to forgive sin, making a mockery of repentance. This was spiritual abuse 10 times over. Eli knew his sons were doing this, and he did confront them, but his sons took no heed. And Eli didn't pursue it. He chose to honor his son's desires over God's. Meanwhile, Samuel continued to serve faithfully and humbly and both God and his community took notice. So a faithful man approaches Eli and says, hey, God told me to tell you, I revealed myself to your ancestor back in Egypt when they were slaves. I chose that ancestor to be my priest. I gave to your ancestor and all of his family all of my offerings. Why are you now so greedy? Why honor your sons more than me? I promised provision, and your family could serve in this way for forever. But now, whoever honors me, 
I will honor. Whoever despises me shall be treated with contempt. The fate of your two sons will be assigned to you. They will die on the same day. I will raise up a faithful priest in their stead. Everyone in your family will beg him for coin and bread. That's the abridged version. God's anger burned against Eli's household. And even after hearing this, Eli still did not pursue the matter. And Samuel continued to serve faithfully and humbly, and both God and his community took notice. Until one night, when Samuel and all the priests were asleep in the temple, this young boy heard someone call his name. And we're told visions and prophecies are rare in those days, so understandably, Samuel did not automatically assume, oh, this must be God. He assumed, reasonably, this must be Eli. And so he went, as he always did, and said, here I am. And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. So he does. And then it happens again. And Samuel gets back up and says, here I am. And Eli says, no, go back to sleep. And then it happens a third time. And you'll recognize a pattern with God. Threes are kind of important to him. Uh, Samuel runs again and says, here I am. And finally, Eli catches on to what's happening. And he instructs Samuel to go, lie down again. But this time, if he's called, instead of waking up Eli, stay put and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And Samuel being faithful and humble, does so. And the Lord speaks. He tells them about everything he's going to do to Eli's household because of their wickedness, and that because of Eli's inability to get his house in order, no sacrifice of theirs will ever wipe away their dead. His sons have profaned the sacrifices that might have otherwise atoned for their sins. And we're told that Samuel lay there for the rest of the night, probably heavy with the weight of this vision. I mean, imagine in a time where visions are rare, you personally, not really knowing the Lord, and this is the first message you're given. Tell your guardian and mentor, you're not right with the Lord and it's all going to end. And keep in mind, Samuel didn't know that Eli had already been warned. So, terrified, he begins his day. And Eli calls for him. And Samuel responds, as he always has, faithfully and humbly. Here I am. And Eli asks him what the Lord said to him. And he insists that he hide nothing. And the warning delivered previously is confirmed. And Eli, for his part, receives it this time. And he says to Samuel, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And the Lord is faithful to Samuel. It says in the passage that the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground, which means 
that everything that Samuel prophesies comes to fruition. And why wouldn't it? He served faithfully and humbly, as he did from the start. The story really hurts my heart because it's not always easy telling the truth. There are some things that you really would just rather let lie. Samuel, having been committed to temple service before he was even born, was practically raised by Eli. This man was in a respected position as a priest, as a leader in the community, and as a mentor. According to Jewish tradition, Samuel was all of 12 years old. And sure, he probably saw what was happening, but he was in no position to say anything about it. Until he was put in one. Because even though Samuel didn't know the Lord, the Lord sure knew Samuel. And the Lord knew Eli too and knew who could get his attention. And it's heartbreaking because it didn't have to be this way. Eli had every opportunity and he could have continued serving faithfully and finding favor with the Lord, but he didn't and he couldn't. Fast forward a thousand years, give or take a few. Philip, new convert and disciple of Christ, excitedly shares the good news with his friend Nathaniel, who doesn't know it yet. We found him, we found the one. Yeah, who? Jesus, son of Joseph. That's amazing, where? Uh, he's from Nazareth. I'm sorry, time out, what? <laughs> Nathaniel says to him, can anything good come from Nazareth. See, where it's now a place of pilgrimage, then Nazareth was an insignificant little village. Prophetically meant very little, had even less, and frankly, Nathaniel had reason to be skeptical. But Philip is undeterred. He knows his friend. He insists, in fact, come and see. The spirit is persistent through Philip. So they go. And about this time in the story, I'm like, this is going to be so good. Jesus is going to get him. Because like in all of his encounters with strangers, Jesus, being God, already knows them. So you fully expect Jesus to call him out. But instead, he greets him. Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What? I'm sorry, if I were omniscient, I don't know that I'd be using that power to affirm someone that just mocked my hometown. When Alan and I say something that's true to one another, what we say to one another is we just quote the big Lebowski. We just say, you're not wrong, Walter, you're just an, and I'll let you Google the rest of that quote later. Probably caught on the back foot, Nathaniel passes the ball back to the stranger. Where did you get to know me? And Jesus answers simply, I saw you under the fig tree. And instantly, Nathaniel changes his tune. You're the son of God! In the end, you have to admire him. Jesus is right. Nathaniel does call it exactly as he sees it. And he does not hesitate in doing so. When presented with evidence, he responds in kind. And Jesus assures him, but wait, there's more. Not only have I seen you, you want to know what you're going to see? 
you're going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And there is a, a lot to unpack here. So it's a very, very good thing that Mother Natalie has already opened a lot of this up for you because Jesus is saying some cryptic stuff about seeing Nathaniel and angels and heaven, and he is referring to a story that both Nathaniel and his friend Philip would have been familiar with. A character you've already heard the whole saga of already. Jacob. Because, as I'm sure you'll all dutifully recall, Jacob is important because he is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And was Jacob a very honest man? No, Ashley B., he was not. <laughs> he was an awful liar. He cheats his brother out of his birthright, and he flees when his brother kills him, tries to kill him. And when Jacob flees penniless, eventually he has to stop and rest, and he dreams. And in this dream, this is what he sees. A ladder going from earth to heaven, and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And God stands next to Jacob and says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all of your families of earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will never leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So if, if that's what God says to a dishonest man at rock bottom, what does Jesus say to an honest one? Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. An echo of promises made and promises kept. And John, as a gospel writer, is just so chef's kiss brilliant because Nathaniel, in a state of epiphany, calls Jesus Son of God. Jesus, in connecting the dots for Nathaniel, calls himself Son of Man. So about that ladder, connecting earth to heaven. He is telling Nathaniel everything about who he is and what he is doing. Nathaniel will see what it's like for heaven and earth to be open to one another. He will experience what it's like for God to be present with him, speaking to him, fulfilling promises so long kept. Jesus gives so much to someone who expected so little. And I have to commend the godly characteristics present in each of the men in this story. First, Philip. He heard the good news. He knew it was too good to keep to himself. He knew his friend better than to give up in the face of his cynicism. And he insists, come and see. Try. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Second, Nathaniel. And I know, I didn't like him in the beginning. But he is as honest as a mirror. And to his credit, he tests his disbelief. He goes. 
He meets this guy. And when presented with new, irrefutable evidence, he wastes no time in correcting himself. Which, despite the awe of the moment, had to have been a little embarrassing, given how he started. Third, Jesus. And Christ is so much more than his conduct, but I don't want to leave him out on this, this here. He looks the doubter in the eye, and he tells them the truth about themselves. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't say, well, actually, I was born in Bethlehem, so. He looks at Nathaniel, and he calls upon exactly what is good about him, what is good about how he was created to be. Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Here is a man who speaks the truth and is not afraid to do so. And does Jesus waste a comical moment? (laughs) Absolutely not. The look on Nathaniel's face must have been hilarious because that's what's so Christ about this whole thing, that the comic and the cosmic are so entwined, that the earthly and the heavenly are open to one another in this intimate moment of truth. It is in being fully known that the truth bears itself out. As the psalmist celebrates, Lord, you have searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down, you know my rising up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You trace my journeys and my resting places and are acquainted with all of my ways. Indeed, there is not a word on my lips, but you know it. O Lord, you know it altogether. God knows your heart. It was true for Samuel, faithfully serving Eli in deed, and later when called, in word. It was true in that meeting with Nathaniel, in all of his presumption and in all of his self-correction. It's true for us. So what's keeping us from the truth of Christ? How can we become better disciples and call out what we know to be true of one another? How can we recognize the presence of God right alongside us and channel that by seeing one another as we truly are? Imago Dei, made in God's image, and not the image of our own prejudice. To all of you holding truths that you must share but you've been too afraid to release, my prayer for you is to be faithful, humble, and brave like Samuel. To all of you who tell it like it is and sometimes stick your foot in it, my prayer for you is that you receive grace and have the beauty of Christ revealed to you. And to all of you who aren't quite sure who you are yet, my prayer for you is to experience the gift of being fully known so that you too can share that gift and more with all who fall on your path. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing our sermons in real time, you can check us out at our website, www.goodshepherdbrentwood.org, or attend online during our 1015 Sunday live stream on YouTube. 
You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Good Shepherd Brentwood. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you'd like to meet with one of our clergy, you can email us at office at goodshepherdbrentwood.org. Or if you're interested in visiting in person or have questions about our programs and services, you can text 615-637-3738, where you'll be contacted by our staff. We'd love to meet you.